0: This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today, and may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. Open your Bibles with me to James chapter 2, verse 18. And the question that you probably read together in your bulletin today, we're going to... It says, what does God expect of me? We're going to address this question today, and we're going to, you know, in in many ways it's, it's really kind of, well, hard sometimes to try to tell the church everything in just one week, because it's kind of hard to keep a series going and break up the thought, but so today we're going to talk about, we begin to talk about one of the, I believe, most essential things as we Belief, in as we follow our Lord Jesus Christ, and try to say it as much as we can in just a few moments here together. Christ has no body on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes to which Christ's compassion for the world is to look out. Yours are the feet which He is to go about doing good. And your hands are the hands with which He is to bless us now. St. Teresa of Avila. So the question again is, what does God expect of us as followers of Jesus Christ? Because I believe that if you're here, at some point, you have... If you have not made your decision yet, and if you made your decision that you are here because you have pledged your life to Jesus Christ. And at the bottom of the bottom line of it, it is that we the first thing we must believe is that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. And if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then whatever Jesus said and whatever he did impacts my life today to the point that it provides guidance for me on how to live today. Amen? I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. Jesus wants us to embrace the gospel, but the gospel has something, an expectation in our hearts. And so this idea that... The gospel or the relationship with God is only a private matter. I want to talk to you about that today. That's not true. In the whole sense of the word, of the sentence, I guess. You know this uh, James three sixteen is probably this gospel in its essence, right? Uh, anybody knows that verse? Jan, Jan, uh, I'm sorry, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So if, if and we say that and the, all the whole gospel is there, but we, we've just said it there, God loved the world that he gave his only son. So if God was willing to give his son for a troubled planet, maybe I need to care about the planet and about the people around me, just as Jesus did. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, and listen, if you, if, you're not, if you won't listen to anything else I said, I need you to listen to this. And then remember this, and this is the whole main idea, to be a follower of Christ requires much more than just having a personal and transforming relationship with God. It also entails a public and transforming relationship with the world. I'll say it again. To be a follower of Christ requires much more than just having a personal and transforming relationship with God. It also entails a public and transforming relationship with the world. Now, now, This is why it's so important that you and I understand this. And and most of you open to James chapter 2, right? Verse 18. And I got to go back there with my Bible. But you see, what's, what's happened is that we have been caught up in this idea that salvation is a personal matter. And that is true, right? That part is true. Only it's something between you and God. Salvation is personal. But salvation does not stop in a personal level. Salvation goes beyond a personal level. And if you're following Jesus Christ, this idea of following or this reality of following Jesus Christ goes beyond just your forgiveness of sin and transforming your life for your own good, for your own personal good. That transformation... That embracing of the gospel, that understanding, that living experience and reality of Christ dying for you and forgiveness of sin has a public reality that we must live out. So salvation and, and following Christ... It's much more than just your personal relationship with Jesus. Today they say, Oh no, you know, it's just a personal matter, just between me, me, and God. Don't, don't worry about me. That's true. But let's read together James chapter 2 and verse 18, because this is where we need to go today. For us to understand that to be a father of Christ requires much more. You probably heard this text before. But someone may may well say, you have faith and I have works. This is the, you know, the, the idea between faith and works, you know. Are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? And so people get tangled up and they choose either or. And they say, no, it's by faith. No, it's only by works. Well, this is what James says. He says, Okay, you may say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And just before those verses, and in that context, he says that faith without works, what? Is dead. In other words, he says, and what he's telling us, what James is bringing, and and by the way, the same issues that the church has today is the same issues that the church has in the New Testament uh, as the this, this church was being established just a few decades after the church was established. The, the issues that we face today are there present in the church. Some of us like to think that the issues that we face are all new due to our context. I got news for you. Some of the stuff we're dealing with, we've been dealing for centuries now. And we're still not over those. But this is the issue that the church was dealing with. And, and James reminds the church... This Holy Spirit, through James, reminds the church that our private faith must be made public. In other words, we we can't just claim that our faith is only between us and God. It's only about my own personal growth. It's true. It's about your personal growth and your transformation in your life. But that transformation, it will come at some point, needs to begin to bear what? Fruits. The world around you must begin to see at some point what is it that faith that you have? How is it transcending in your daily life? How is it changing your life? What effects does it have? Because embracing the gospel, listen to me, it's more more, it's, it's much more than a private transaction between God and us. If you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's much more than just a personal matter. It is personal to you. It's only for you, and he died for you. And if it was only be you that he needed to die for, he would do it. But once you embrace the gospel, it goes beyond you. The Bible says, and, and, and I think I've been saying this for a while now. If you haven't heard me. Some of you have told me, even somebody told me that they all, when you start saying that again, I just tune you out. I said, well, don't tune me out right now, but listen to this. I'm going to say it again. Church and the salvation of Christ in our lives is bigger than just you. It's not just for you. It's bigger than you. It is for you, but it goes beyond you. Amen? So church is not about you or about me. The gospel of Jesus Christ wants to change people. Challenging and transforming the prevailing values and practices of our world. In the New Testament, Jesus called the resulting new world order of people accepting the gospel, accepting the kingdom of God. He called it the kingdom of God. You look at Matthew, the Gospels, Matthew 12, 19, Matthew 21, Mark 1, look in the Gospels, and you find that Jesus is ushering the kingdom of God, and He was purpose, He was purposing that by the gospel becoming a reality of being embraced by people, that this gospel will challenge their lives and that their values of those people that have been just embraced in the gospel will be transformed and changed and that because of that, the world that will be be shaping around his people is what he called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So I want us to turn and again, the question is, what is God expecting of me? I hope that you begin to see a picture of what God expects of us, of His church. Matthew 5. You probably have heard of Matthew chapter 5 before. Let me see, who has not heard of Matthew chapter 5 before? Well, you, don't, you probably heard of it, but you don't remember what's there, right? All right, I'll give you a hint. Jesus begins to preach in the mountain. And then he gives the famous Beatitudes. Okay? Matthew chapter 5. is the Sermon on the Mountain. The Beatitudes, it begins in chapter one, of, of 5 verse 1. Now, this is something that we must understand. We have looked at the Beatitudes as... A wish list of characteristics, of things that we at some point hope to become. Like a wish list of what our lives are striving for. Kind of a wish list, if you please. Like a Christmas wish list, I guess. But I want you to see it in this, in this context. Jesus, what he's telling the people around him is that this is the code of conduct. This is the new code for the kingdom of God. Those who will embrace the gospel, this is now how they must live. So he's going beyond just a wish list to things that we hopefully become at some point. He he shows it, he, he tells the people that are around him, as this is the way the kingdom of God's people live. This is how we do things in the kingdom of God. And so he begins to look at the people. And notice that there's people coming around him, remember? And the people that come to him are the ones, the ones that are embracing the gospel, understanding what is such a blessing, what is such a good news. But when people, but those that were in, 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 in power... The ones that were in authority, they understood what God was about to do, what he was trying to do. So they rejected it and they opposed it because he was was trying to change what the values were. He was trying to change what the reality of the society was because by accepting the code and accepting the, the gospel of the kingdom of God, they needed to change the values and things were going to be turn upside down, and the values that they held dear could not be longer held dear by one who holds the gospel dear because their lives will change. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, listen to me, his disciples came to him, he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, I'm sorry, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for re- your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. My friends, my brothers and sisters... Jesus is presenting in the attitudes the way that we must live now. And what does God expect of us? He expects that by embracing his gospel, our lives, our private lives, are shaped or transformed. And then by doing so, our values, our practices, and then the world around us, our families, and everyone around us, and the community that we belong to, begins to be transformed. And then the world will be turned upside down and changed. And that's exactly what happened with the 12 men that embraced the gospel that follow him because they took it at heart they made this the code of life and they revolutionized the world that they lived in and since they embraced the gospel the world was never the same because they believed Jesus and they allow him to live it, out, live it out in their lives and the kingdom of God was ushered in into the world by the church being created and being formed This is found in all the gospels, and I'm not going to look. I know I have another text that I, I want to. I want you to take home and look in Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse thirteen. But again, and let me explain to you why this is so important. Because you know, again, somebody asked me about the church growing, or me coming back and forth from a ch- from, from from another church, and and the reality is, you know, that's we need to have. Apparently, according to the formula they got in the conference, I got to have more people here. We got to have more people so I can be here most of the time. Now with the two churches, I guess, that justify my salary. That's what they tell me. So now we, we need more. But, but beyond that, I want you to understand this. This is how we're supposed to evangelize people, and this is how it's supposed to happen. So I want you to think of bringing people to Christ, and, I, and, 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 and we want to share God's blessing, and that's what the church is, is supposed to be all about, amen? And, and again, our lives, we've been talking about that our lives. James reminds us that our faith is made public, and people see our works, and so they begin to see the faith that we have. But why is that important? I believe that when we talk about evangelism, we've been focusing on harvesting those who are ready. That when they har- and you remember, Jesus says, look at the fields, you know, they're ready, they're ripe for harvest. Ask the Father of the harvest to send workers to the vineyard. Remember that? And that's, and, and that's been our emphasis for the longest time. So we've been focusing on the ones who are ready for harvesting. And so a lot of the times when we talk about evangelizing people, we, we think of just making altar calls and just... Um, Talking to those uh, driving or leading people to make decisions for Christ, that they're already there. All they need to add to be asked is the question: Do you understand? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That He died for you? Do you want to make a, conne- a, com- a commitment to Christ today and accept Him as personal Savior? And so we we focus on that. We've been focused on that, and it's been very, very much effective. Amen. I mean, that's how the church has been growing. But that's not the only emphasis that the church must be thinking about. As a matter of fact, that's not the only way that, that's not the only mission that we have of calling those who are ready. But what about those who are not ready yet? Those that you know, and you know those, you know those people, right? That don't even believe in Jesus Christ. And you think about, how am I going to tell him? How am I going to share And you know there's nothing you can say or do that's going to bring them to the point where you ask the question, you want to accept Jesus Christ, because they're nowhere near that. As a matter of fact, let me me share with you this. uh, I just came across this statistic this week. Listen to me. Um, 6% of the people who are not Christians by the age of 18 years old, Okay, 6% of those, of the total number of people that have not become Christians by the age they turn 18, they're the, actually 6% are the only ones who will become Christians or had the potential to become Christians later in life. That makes, does that make sense? So out of everybody that turned 18 and have not decided to follow Jesus Christ yet, Out of all those people, only 6%, according to statistics, will at some point have the chance to make that decision to follow Christ. So where does that live the other 94%? The reality is, is that those people... That are not ripened the ones that are not ready yet and you know who they are you know your friends because you are there in the world and you you, you know you rub shoulders with people you work with people you visit with people you have friends that they're nowhere near in deciding the, to follow jesus christ they are only by their relationship with others by reading and and discussing with others that follow christ by learning from those who follow christ by seeing the difference that faith in christ makes in the life of those who know christ who say that they know christ by the witnessing by them by these people seeing the genuine faith at work demonstrated through the acts of love and kindness, then they begin to be moved by the Spirit of God into an environment where they perhaps begin to consider and wonder, what about the faith of Christ? What about faith in Christ? So, this is why it's so important that we understand what God expects of us. Because you and I living out our faith in public Provides the context by which people begin to see God in ways they have never seen him before. This is why God established this church. This is why the usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus came, he was the kingdom of God, you know, he was an embodiment, the kingdom of God, he ushers the kingdom of God through his sacrifice into my life, into your life, and so he creates a church, who is, which is his kingdom, and by the way the kingdom of God lives and grows, then the world around them begin to witness, and hey, there's something, there's some alternative, there's some other way of life that is different, that is fulfilling, and he promised what? That he has come to give us life, and that we have an abundant life, Amen. So this kingdom of God, manifesting through the works, your works, my works, the life of the kingdom of God, begins to provide the context by which the people who are now ready to make that decision begin to be led by the Spirit into perhaps a place where they begin to wonder and question. And the Spirit will lead them into the road and the journey where they need to be led to eventually make a decision for Christ and understand that only Jesus... Satisfied and only Jesus provides a reason and a mission for their lives. Talking about harvest, and I don't know I don't know much about not, not very, I mean I don't know much about planting and harvesting, but I was doing some research this week and I realized that at least there's kind of some basic steps in preparing in, in planting and harvesting. You know to get a good crop and, and harvest a good crop, you, there's some steps that are at least basic steps that you need to follow. The first one is that we must prepare the land, right? Right? You think about it? I mean, if you're going to plant something anywhere, and just think about your, your house garden, right? Before you start planting something, first you got to get the land ready. I know my mother came the other day and she, was, uh, she wanted to put some flowers around the house. And she left it for the day before she left. She tried to to get some flowers around the big trees. I got like three different big trees, oak trees actually, in my front yard. And she wanted to plant uh, trees around, I mean uh, flowers around it. And she had the idea where the flowers were, we went to get them. But we realized that and she brought it to my attention that we needed to buy soil, potting soil, (laughs) because there was no way that we could plant those flowers around the trees uh, with the soil that was there. So we needed to prepare the ground. We needed to buy the soil, bring it, put it around. And I'm looking, I've been trying to put water and stuff, and I realized that I need to, um, I'm going to have to get some more soil back up again because the soil, the nutrients are gone. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So you prepare the ground, you prepare the soil. You might have to remove, remove some rocks, get the field ready. And then after that, then you, you, you break up the soil by, by plowing it, by fertilizing it. And then you, you, you roll, uh, you know, till rolls through it so that the seeds can begin to be planted and covered, right? And that's the next step. You plant and you cover the seeds. And then once it's planted, then you have to maybe provide some protection, some fencing and some watering and nurturing of the, of the seeds and feeding so that the seeds could grow, right? And the life of the seed may, become, may continue to grow. And then... The reality is that sometimes there might be some setbacks, maybe, that will take place as you try to plant, as you try to grow a crop. And so you need to go back to step, a couple of steps and prepare the ground, which is what's happening right now in my, in my flower beds there by the trees. Um, I realized that the, soil, the potting soil is no longer any, as dark as it was. <laughs> and so the nutrients had been, you know, sucked out of the, because of the plants. And so now I, I'm having to rea- I realize that my mom just came to put more work for me to do. I got to take care. Now I got to go back and do that soil back up, potting soil again, and she's not around, of course, so I have to do it myself, my own. I did, she helped me. Her and I worked together, but now I got to do it alone. So, so working and, and setbacks and working back, and, and, and so that's, that's how you plant and you grow seeds. and And now think about, the work that we're supposed to be doing with people and what the kingdom of God is supposed to be representing for those around us as they see us, as they, as they share with us, as we share with them. You all know the Lord's Prayer, amen? Right? Most of you know it. Matthew 6, is was given to us. And Luke, also we have in the Gospels, according to Luke. But what, why is this important, folks? What is God expecting of us? Well, what we're what we saying is that, yes, perhaps God expects more of you and me than we've been giving Him lately. And for that matter, more than most of the Christian kingdom today, whoever claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, most of us are willing to give. Because we we like that we're saved, you know, we, we enjoy that Christ comes into our lives, we experience salvation for our past mistakes and sins and regrets, and so he gives a new life, right? And that's wonderful, amen? Yes! brand new beginning that's wonderful that's that's you begin a new person no matter who you were no matter what you've done you can come to christ and a whole new life a new creature but it doesn't end there because what he what he expects of you and me once we embrace the gospel is that by embracing the reality of the gospel then your life will be shaped then you'll begin to live out in the ways that God wants you to live. Uh, and, and this is something that people don't understand. Is this is why salvation, this is why it's not faith or works. Hello? This is not salvation by faith or salvation by works. It's not either or, and that's the issue that we have. That we either have to, okay, you either are saved by grace or you either saved by works. The truth is not that it's either or, it's together and, it's both. Is that we are saved by grace, Is that... There's nothing that you could do to be saved only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen? but once you embrace that reality then there's got to be something that happened in your life then you have to shape transform because you could claim to follow Christ but if, you got, if your life has not changed if your values have not changed if what was important to you before it still keeps being important to you and you don't allow the things that break the heart of God to actually break your heart and, and God to lead you in every area of your life then that is once saved always saved you know you could believe in Christ and go back to your life and do whatever you want to do, you're still going to be saved. That's not how the gospel works. That's not what Jesus meant to do. What he wants to do and what he's establishing his kingdom is that he gave his son because he loved us. That once you and I understood that reality, and those who follow him from the beginning of the New Testament time, they believed that. They embraced it. And they began to leave by the new code of, uh, of conduct in, in the beatitudes and everything that he taught, and so everything that he is about and everything that he does and did, he does and do in our lives today, for you and for me, and so your life and mine usher the kingdom of God into the world. Remember what the uh, Lord's prayers say: "Our Father in heaven." And listen to that phrase, Thy kingdom come. That will be done. But I want you to understand that, Thy kingdom come. That prayer was not just a prayer. It was stating the reality of what God wants to do through his disciples. It's what God expects of you and me. That his kingdom will come. That his kingdom will be a reality in your life. And that by, by that reality being open to you. Then you and I will usher God's kingdom. Whatever we are. wherever we go.